The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's an interesting question. I, I personally don't subscribe to the idea that, um, you know, an election makes a democracy. I think a democracy is a much more complex notion and activity than just an election. Um, but, you know, we've come to believe or uh, it's been put to us that we should believe that an election is the ultimate expression of, of democracy. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Becali. Welcome back to another episode of COVID-19 from Crisis to Creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco-Bicalli, your host. Well, the U.S. elections are definitely something we should talk about. A huge weight of our global shoulders. Biden is in, Trump is out, but not the fact that one won and the other lost is really the interesting part of that election in the U.S., but really by what margin? I mean, look at it. The margin is about 3% of a difference, about 76 million people supporting Biden, more than 71 million still supporting Trump. Is that really the expression of democracy? Is this really as good as true democracy gets? I don't know. I have my doubts about the process, how a philosophy can really be put into practice that all of our votes are really being heard. So I thought, why not reach out to Adam Jacoby? He's the founder and CEO of My Vote to discuss not only democracy in a philosophical way, but more the process and what's wrong, potentially wrong with it. Adam, so good to have you here with me on Mentory TV. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Adam, okay, let's take the example of the U.S. election. I mean, is it really as good as it gets? To me, this is more split than kind of a consensus what the outcome is of the U.S. election. Well, look, I, I, it's an interesting question. I, I personally don't subscribe to the idea that, um, you know, an election makes a democracy. I think a democracy is a much more complex notion and activity than just an election. Um, but, you know, we've come to believe or... Uh, it's been put to us that we should believe that an election is the ultimate expression of, of democracy. Um, in terms of this particular election, you know, whether it's one vote or whether it's three million votes, or whether it's 2% or 22%, um, the majority seems to have spoken. Um, and unless um, Trump is able to mis yeah, miraculously provide some evidence of this purported corruption, um, you know, it's a fair election and, you know, the winner will be Biden and Biden will move into the White House. Um, although there are still obviously some concerns about that. But my, my bigger question is um, around independent of whoever wins the election, how do we ensure that those people actually listen to the will of the people of their country? Um, and not just on who they want to lead them, but on what policies matter and what they want 
for each of those policies. And that's when we start getting closer to the heart of democracy. Yes, I think this is so vital. It really is about how can every vote that is being cast from a potential informed voter really be heard? And there the system might not be really the best that we're seeing right now. So what do you think is really wrong with today's process of democracy, Adam? Well, I would put you that we don't have democracy. Democracy doesn't exist. Um, So uh, no country has democracy. There are some who are operating at a level that is closer to what we should be able to call a democracy. Um, But for the most part, I think what we have are representative governments whose primary objective is the acquisition and maintenance of power um, and in no way reflect their representative responsibility of enacting the will of an informed constituency. And ultimately, that's what the democracy is. And so um, to me, I think, you know, what we need to see is a far greater involvement of the community and the citizenry in understanding um, what, first of all, providing information to those people so that they can make better informed decisions and then actually asking them on a policy-by-policy basis, you know, where do you want this country to go? Because whether you vote for Trump or whether you vote for Biden is irrelevant. If we're talking about a policy issue that was not um, exhaustively explored during the campaign, then whoever those representatives are don't know what the constituents want and the constituents don't know what either of those two representatives are going to do on those issues. So how is that person meant to represent them? Yeah, absolutely. So where does the communication start? I mean, I get the feeling in a partisan kind of system, you have more, you know, the the political elite or whoever wants to become the next president or political leader, having a certain agenda of what they think the people want and need. You know, they are the classic pressure points and pain points, be it uh, healthcare or be it, uh, you know, education. But does that really... uh, you know, take away the chance for the people and what they really need in their everyday life being heard? Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think part of the problem is that we make assumptions based on polling about what people want. Um, and the other part of the problem is that in a binary two-party system like America, um, and, and not dissimilar actually to my country in Australia, which is largely the same, um, you have a situation where based on the ideology it is only assumed that there are two solutions to any problem because it's either the left or the right version. And it it discounts every other possibility of looking at ways of fixing some of our great challenges. And the other thing that becomes critical is it doesn't require either party, either in opposition or in government, to actually provide the constituency with factual information about that issue so that they can make an informed decision about where they think the country should go. Um, and that, that is one of the greatest failures of the representative government system that we have in the world today. Yeah, and I get the feeling, Adam, I don't know. On one hand, often, I mean, this turnout in the US election is quite exceptional. However, usually voter turnout, unless there's a huge crisis going on, is actually on the low side. So I get the feeling, yes, there's kind of like a political apathy simply because people think whether I vote or not, I will never be hurt. But on the other hand, if somebody they don't like is then in power, there's kind of an outrage. I, I think that's exactly right. Um, but the, the interesting thing about the turnout here, and this we won't know until the next few elections, is whether or not the extraordinarily impressive turnout in a voluntary uh, voting environment was driven by the fact that you have a group of people who absolutely hate Donald Trump and so come out to say, we've got to get rid of him, and another group of people who say, we absolutely love Donald Trump and so we want to keep him. But if Donald is no longer on the picture, 
which means that from the left they don't see the Republicans as quite the threat and on the right they're not quite as excited about who the candidate is in the future. I wonder whether or not those people will come out in the same force on both sides. So that's the first question. The second question is how much damage has been done to the election process in general uh, by the way Trump has behaved since the election and in the lead-up to the election um, in undermining the very essence of that democratic process um, and actually have people now start to question in general whether or not elections are fair um, is the first question, although Donald has been an erosion point of democracy from literally the first day he took office. Um, but the other thing that I think is interesting in, in that conversation is the extent to which, um, because we've seen an erosion of trust in leaders, both business leaders and political leaders, and that's been ongoing for years and years now, um, it's reached the lowest point ever this year uh, since they've been measuring. But what we're now seeing is an erosion, an already... Uh, Uh, well-understood researched erosion of trust meshed with a whole lot of misinformation about why you can't trust an election either. Um, And you then have to start to question how we'll form governments at all after this. Um, And that's sort of a more hyperbolic look at the problem. Um, But it's it's certainly not out of the question that if Trump for the next four years keeps saying it's rigged, I should be the president, um, you know, the whole thing is, is a fraud and a scam, then people will become less and less and less likely, those who are on that side of the political spectrum um, to, to engage at all. Let me quickly interrupt the conversation to say thank you that you are here with me on the channel. If you do enjoy what I'm putting out, the in-depth kind of conversations, then why don't you subscribe and also hit the bell button so I can keep you informed with our newest releases. Thanks for that in advance and let's get back to the conversation. I think integrity is a huge point. And coming back to what you were saying, informing the electorate. Now, there's, of course, those that proactively go out and really try to research, go and wade through, you know, papers and papers of proposal or whatever party uh, wants to do. But I think that is not necessarily the majority. I think uh, most people uh, just, you know, they sit, they have a beer with their mates and whoever talks loudest, that is what they follow. Think, okay, that sounds kind of right. He seems to be informed. I'm going to do the same. And the educational point is how to bridge that communication of whatever policy or agenda is out there to really everybody to make an as informed choice as possible. Yeah, I I think that's right. And and I would go half a step further. So I would also say, you know, I think the things that are driving a lot of people, certainly in our country, um, I can't speak for every country, but I I, I suspect this is the same in the US as well. Uh, For a lot of the time, you vote the way that your family votes and you're a Republican family or a Democrat family. In In our country, you're either a Labor or a Liberal, right? And so um, and, and you start in that position. There aren't a lot of people who leave where their family came from and start voting a different way, um, although the, next, the, the younger generations are starting to see a bit of that. Yeah. So that's the first bit is wh- what's the, fam- uh, the family pressure that you have? The next thing, and this is, uh, I think, one of the great tragedies of the way representative democracy and campaigning has worked, is that we, we have this extraordinarily short-term view about how to assess value. And so we say, well, this person's going to give me a tax cut. So for the next 12 months, I'm going to be $347 better off. And so I'm prepared to completely screw over the environment or aid or whatever those things are, um, or or significant tax reform even for that matter, um, because there's something in a short-term hit for me. It's like a, you know, it's like a little lolly to a kid. Uh, And so, so I think part of the challenge is that it's harder and harder for great statesmen like um, and I don't mean men, that could be women as well, great states people um, to come out and 
provide vision about something that requires change and um, challenge because people aren't looking for those great visions or if they're looking for them, when it comes down to it, they're going to vote for the thing that's going to help them in the next 12 months. Yeah, and it is so true because in Germany, remember when we had Germany really in the doldrums, economically speaking, huge recession. It was the uh, you know the last country in terms of the GDP growth in Europe. And then Schroeder, Gerhard Schroeder, came in, did the Agenda 2020, uh, 2010, sorry, uh, to reform. Germany and said, okay, this is going to be hard, guys, but we're going to do these very needed reforms. Guess what? Did he survive? Did he uh, get elected again? Yeah. No. But the reforms stayed, interestingly enough, and the awards and the rewards were reaped by Angela Merkel for years and years. Yeah. So people don't want to go through the pain. And I totally agree with you, Adam, that people do vote with their wallets and they also vote with their visions. So, you know, if you think about who actually uh, elected Trump, for example, then I don't know uh, how many there are, proportionally speaking, that are highly educated, high income earners, et cetera, et cetera. And this is totally out of the blue saying that. But the most important thing is that it really is the short termism. Okay, I can go on holiday. I can uh, treat my kids to the cinema the president, life is good. I have a job and, you know, kind of the basic needs are covered. But the long-term yeah. game is really hard, even though everybody knows it from an electoral point of view, nobody wants to get really go through it. So do politicians really have a chance for a long term? Well, yeah, look, that, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, for me, the take out of Trumpism and everybody takes something different out of it. But um, for me, what's clear, and we saw a little bit of this in Australia, not with somebody who became the Prime Minister, but somebody who built a party on the back of racism and hate and all the same, same things that Trump talks about. Um, and, and these are people who are, they feel marginalised by the system. They feel as though nobody's representing their voice, whether that's true or not, that's how they feel. Uh, and they feel that they're looking at somebody who's prepared to take on the establishment, which they don't trust. And, and a lot of us feel like we don't trust the establishment, let's be honest, right? But, but what they've done, it's kind of like a, a false prophet. They, they're taking, they're saying, we recognise that we don't want to vote for what we've seen for the last 30, 40 years, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to vote with this individual. Now, we may not agree with everything that this individual says or everything that this individual does, but what we want is somebody who's going to be different. And what they get is, is somebody who's going to be different, but in ways that they never imagined. And then what happens is that person, and Trump is a great example of this, doubles down on the hate and on the rhetoric because they go, well, hey, that's what I used as a campaign tool and I got elected. So if I'm getting elected, obviously a lot of people feel the way that I feel. And so people will come to people like Trump for different reasons. Some will, will say, you know, he's a great Christian saviour. I mean, he's got all the evangelicals and yet he's the most false Christian you could ever find in your life. Um, others will come and say, we wanted somebody different. Others will come and say, we want somebody who's going to be tough on China and internationally. Others are super patriotic and will say, you know, we want somebody who's going to be America first because we love America. And so people are coming at it from slightly different ways. But if you can touch a few of those key chords in here, then all of a sudden you've got 71 million votes and, and you're a player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're perhaps referring to as well is a couple of things that I read between the lines. A, we are a very complex society, ever so. Yep. I mean, minorities are being heard more and more, and that's a good thing. 
But in terms of getting consensus amongst an electorate, that makes it more difficult. So on one hand, a complex, more diverse society trying to be heard. On the other hand, we do need to try to find a system that gives us consensus, uh, that everybody is kind of like, okay with whoever represents them as a country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And the problem is when you put anyone up against Trump, I mean, what's interesting about Biden, what's been so impressive to me, um, and and look, for whatever it's worth for your listeners, um, this is not about left and right. And in Australia, I don't vote for any of the major parties. I only vote for independents. Um, But but what I will say that's been impressive about Biden um, has been that, you know, everything up against Trump looks bland. That doesn't mean it's not a welcome relief, but it's bland because he's, he's such a larger-than-life character. And so for people who are disengaged, looking at something bland, you go, well, I'm not going to vote for that. That looks like everything I've seen for the last 30, 40 years. Um, but what's interesting about Biden winning to me is that it's kind of this, it's a response to the chaos. And there, I think some pe- you know, most people can only take so much chaos and the last four years has been so chaotic and so tumultuous and people are going, you know what, like, we like the idea of the different, but this is a bit too much. This is, like, we just want a bit of stability. We want somebody that's going to be calm. We, and I think a lot of people came out and just said, even if we agree with some things that Trump said, we just can't do it again. I, um, yeah, the stress factor, the stress factor. Adam, I have so many friends in the US. I reach out to them just for, for the election saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. The whole world is thinking about you guys. And everybody came back and said, yeah, we are stressed out. Whatever it is, we just want this to just calm down. Everything is just going haywire. Uh, you know, people are afraid. They don't know what the future looks. You know, the gun sales go up, you know, rocket yeah. up. Um, and this is not an environment where you can do anything long term. And I think, uh, you know, what you said about okay, um, you know, one of these guys is bland. That means the other one is exciting. So again, the emotional part is so much part of if you actually like the person or if you admire him, if you get the energy that really filters into into the election vote, which should not necessarily only be uh, about that, but really about what is this guy going to do for us. That's right. Just on that note, I I grabbed a couple of quotes just for fun, Adam. One is by Winston Churchill, who's got great quotes on democracy, by the way. And he says, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. What do you say? So I gave a whole speech about this in London last year, and I used that quote as my example. No way! And you know what? I didn't know that. I did read and, and, it, but I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and the reason that that's, in the, that's a really fascinating quote, and, and, you know, Churchill is often held up as this beacon of democratic principle, but that quote to me tells me that he is anti-democratic. And people go, people are always shocked when I say that. Because if you believe that the average voter uh, should be, you should be afraid of the average voter because of the way that they might vote, then in your heart you don't actually believe in democracy. And furthermore, you also don't, ha- don't understand your responsibility in a democracy as a leader to make sure that your citizens are informed. Exactly. So, and that's where we fall down. That, it, you know, the go- a government's primary responsibility should be informing its citizens so that all of the citizenry can make the best decisions every day for the nature of that particular environment. And so that's where we fall down because whether it's left or whether it's right, what you hear are the ideas and the visions and the statistics and the reports that satisfy their worldview, not the whole worldview, you know, not the full spectrum of understanding that we need. Yeah. And uh, the 
it, it's again education transmitting information and i think this is a great moment to move on to my vote and what you are doing adam because you established with my vote really um a system that you say okay democracy the way it is handled right now i can't stand for that then there must be something better and you started to develop really the eight pillars i think is it seven or eight pillars of how the democratic process gets us as close as uh, to true democracy as possible. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, one part of that is, of course, how to parcel up, you know, what people want to, you know, what is important to people and how to then parcel up to really communicate to them what any uh, political campaign is really all about. Yeah, look, it, it's, been a, it's been a long journey, the My Vote journey, to be honest, um, and it, and it probably was longer, again, because we spent so many years doing research before we ever started constructing any kind of intervention. Um, we really wanted to understand democracy from inside and out, and not just in our country, but we spoke to, you know, political leaders and um, political professors and community leaders, religious leaders, industry leaders, um, all, all over the world for, for years, actually. Um, or I like to say, you know, we, we spoke to everybody from the prisoner to the prison guard to the person who ran the prison to the person who owned the prison, to the minister who was responsible for the prison, literally everyone in the chain, right? Um, and in doing that, a, a few things became clear. The first thing that be became clear was that there were some very identifiable erosion points to democracy over an extended period of time and that they were not specific to individual geographical locations. And so where, where we looked around the world, we saw that, Transparency was a problem. Accountability was a problem. Um, having long-term, uh, you know, holding office for long periods of time was a problem. Um, how you had donations to political parties was a problem. Um, how the fourth estate, the media, how that operated became critical in whether or not you were going to have a well-functioning democracy, and that became a problem. Um, and so, you know, we started to identify these things and then started saying, well, if you were going to re- and we say, you know, my co-founder and I, we're long-term entrepreneurs. I've been an entrepreneur for nearly 25 years, lots of startup businesses all over the world. And so we, we kind of put the entrepreneurial hat back on, let's call it this black one right here. And we said, you know, if you were going to create a, a product called democracy that sat on a box and sat on a shelf somewhere that somebody could take off and buy, um, what would that product need to do? What would the promise need to be? What would it need to deliver? How would you make sure that the quality control was um, there so that it always delivered the same thing and you could count on it once you bought that box? And how could you build it so well that everybody told their friends they needed to go and buy the same box? Now, of course, what we set up was a not-for-profit, so there was no paying for the box, but, but it, the essence is still the same, right? And so when we started looking at that, we started saying, well, okay, you need to build a system that has a variety of interventions. So how do you make sure you have transparency? And how do you make sure you deliver the will of the people? And how do you make sure that accountability is there? And so, that, you know, it was a labour of love. We spent many years devising a system that end-to-end, -end, it's much more complicated um, in some respects than the existing systems, the representative democracy, because so many more checks and balances need to be there to make it work properly. Um, and the accountability of leaders significantly changes, like, for example, informing the constituency. Um, but, you know, we have a model that we believe uh, is the best, truest form of democracy that's being conceived. Um, it uses some technology, although we're not technologists, so we've gone out and used the best technologists we can find in the world, but, um, but it's, you know, the technology is an enabler. Uh, there are a lot of people who are trying to recreate uh, democracy 
with a technology-first approach. So their interest is saying, well, I'm into AI, so I'm going to use AI for democracy. I'm into blockchain. So we kind of said, well, actually, what does the thing need to do? And then how do we find the technology that will deliver that? Um, and so, you know, we, we built the world's first uh, blockchain voting platform. Um, we're not interested in elections. That's not what we do. We talk about policies. Um, and what we do is give every constituent an equal opportunity to cast a vote in the direction that they think their country should go on those issues. Um, and our threshold for finding policy is much higher than exists now. So to your early, the very first thing you said at the beginning of this conversation, where you said, you know, the margin was razor thin, it was 2 or 3%. We don't have policy at my vote unless a 60% majority is formed for a particular direction on a policy. Um, and when we started that, every political professor that we spoke to everywhere around the world, so it's not possible to do, you can't do it in a binary two-party system. Um, the first version of the technology that we delivered, we ran a series of beta tests. We never had less than 60% ever, not a single time. Um, and we're in the process now of rebuilding the technology in the UK right now as we speak. And in fact, I have a demo at midnight tonight to have a look at the next version of it. Okay. Um, and okay. So, Good luck for that. Uh, and so, so you know, it's, it, 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 has, it has to be a very robust system that curates information and do a whole variety of other things. But it's exciting times for us. We're dealing with a lot of governments at the moment, um, ministers, uh, policymakers. You know, we've dealt with the United Nations, the World Economic Forum. And, and you know, the, the general consensus is that whilst what we're trying to do is a marathon, you can't move these dials quickly. It's not the way the world works. Um, you know, we kind of, my, my co-founder and I think this is a 25-year journey for us. Um, and we're about in a year eight, seven or eight at the moment. Um, but what we are seeing more and more of are conversations with world leaders and governments who are saying, teach us more, teach us a little bit more about how this could work or how could we implement parts of it into our system or how can we work on transparency or what can we do about donation reform? And, and you know, thankfully, we're, we're at a lot more tables than we thought we'd be. Yeah, and uh, it's so significant because if governments or, you know, reach out to you to ask questions, they also feel something is wrong. You know, they want to know about democracy and they see, okay, there is perhaps a democratic system, but there is no consensus. And I would like to um, circle back to the notion of consensus. And we touched it, uh, on it a little earlier in our conversation as well, Adam. And I wonder the system that you established with my vote, uh, you say, I don't look at parties, I don't look at elections, but I look at the actual, you know, the potential laws or, or you know, movements that are important mm -hmm. to people. How do you ascertain it with my vote? How yeah, do you go out and ask the questions and get really people's uh, true feeling on it? And that wraps up the first part of my conversation with Adam Jacoby. He's the founder and CEO of MyVote. And if you do like our conversations here on Mentory TV, why don't you give us a thumbs up and subscribe also to the YouTube channel so I can keep you in the loop with my newest guests and my newest video releases. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.